Okay, well, uh, I guess my story starts, uh, uh, I, I grew up in Minnesota and uh, in the Minneapolis uh, area, and um, I was always very scientific and skeptical, and I still kind of am. I'm a computer guy by trade, so I've been in the computer business all my life, and I've worked on very highly technical stuff. And... Uh, so the last thing I, I thought about doing was uh, getting into out-of-body experiences, but I'll, I'll tell you how that all happened. Um, in 1979, uh, my brother Joe um, bought a book called Journeys Out of the Body by Robert Monroe, and he gave it to my dad as a present. Um, I forget, I think, I forget if it was, it might have been for his birthday because his birthday is in July, and uh, I think this is in about July. And after my dad was done reading it, I thought, you know, that's a fascinating subject. I had, I had heard about astral projection kind of in passing in other places and thought, you know, this is kind of interesting stuff and wonder if it's true and all of that. Um, but I never gave it any serious consideration. So uh, when my dad was done reading Journeys Out of the Body, um, I asked to borrow it and I read it and I was like blown away by it. And um, Robert Monroe had all of these crazy stories in the book about flying here and there out of his body and going through walls and basically acting like a ghost and, and being able to see things um, that he shouldn't be able to see and flying away from his body and things like that and just doing really weird stuff. And I thought, you know, this guy is out of his mind. He's obviously, you know, uh, I, I don't know what his deal is, but he's obviously having very vivid dreams or something like that going on. And I didn't take it very seriously, but um, Monroe didn't say to believe him. He basically said, try it for yourself. And he gives a couple of procedures in the book for the reader to try to induce an out-of-body experience. Um, well, the, the, the key to science is repeatability. So I thought, okay, you know, um, that's the first thing that a scientist want, wants is, is the ability to recreate a, an experiment and, and verify results of other, other scientists have reported things. And Monroe's book didn't come off as a crazy person. It came off as a very scientific guy of, well, this is what happened to me, as weird as it was. And uh, so I thought, you know, I'll take, uh, I'll give Monroe the benefit of the doubt and I'll try his technique. And I don't seriously think that anything's going to happen, but you know, I'll give it a try and I'll at least be open-minded because if science is anything, it should be open-minded because um, there's still, I mean, we're learning new things every day, right? Science is discovering new things every day that they didn't know. And so I gave Monroe's method a try and uh, Monroe's method, um, I, I've got a, a explanations of it in various places, but, and I don't know if I was reading um, into his method or if I was interpreting it correctly. But what I did is I started uh, relaxing my physical body and calming my mind to a point of absolute zero where, where no thoughts were occurring, no emotions were occurring, and basically narrowing my, down, my mind down to a single um, strand of thought. And then I started doing this visualization that Monroe recommended, which had to do with two lines of force. And so the, these lines of force were, were coming out from the sides of my temples and coming out like one foot in front of me, uh, in front of my, you know, uh, 
eyebrows. And then he had me hold that for a while and then extend it further out till it's three feet and then further out till it's six feet. And you don't move on until you can actually see that visualization, you know, perfectly clear. And then what happens after nine feet is you start to widen the angle out. So you're pushing the lines away from your temples and you're pulling it back over your head, or at least that's what I did. And then something very strange happened to me and it was a, a pivotal point in my life. And that is, I felt this twang and it was a, a very strange sensation. It was like a twang inside my head. And I thought, okay, maybe this isn't such a good idea. You know, I obviously, I'm in over my head, right? So I, I got a little scared. So I, I decided to try and back out of it and retract my lines of force. But what happened is these imaginary lines of force seemed as if they became real. And as crazy as that sounds, when I retracted them into myself, it's like it brought with them a vibration. And they call it the vibrations in, in out-of-body or astral projection lingo. Um, these vibrations basically swept over me. Um, I noticed I could see through my closed eyelids. And uh, I saw this blue ring of fire that was about this big. And it was kind of coming toward me. And it kind of enveloped me and passed over me. And uh, I found myself paralyzed. I was in sleep paralysis, couldn't move my body. So I, I really started to panic at that point. Um, started wildly uh, thrashing and kicking and trying to regain control of my physical body. And eventually I did, I regained control of my body and uh, I, was, I was very scared. It was probably the scariest thing that had ever happened to me because these vibrations felt very electrical. They felt like I was being electrocuted, literally. And, uh, and uh, so finally, I, I calmed down and, and managed to get to sleep. But at that point, I knew I was, I was basically hooked. I, as a scientist, or at least a scientific kind of guy, I knew I had to investigate further and find out for myself if Monroe was really lying or, any, you know, if, if that much was true, <clears throat> excuse me, how much more of it was true. And so I knew I had to figure out... Uh, I, need, I needed to induce more of these out-of-body experiences and explore the state myself just so I could see it firsthand what was going on. And uh, I, after that, uh, I tried uh, for about a month to um, induce an out-of-body experience. Um, Monroe's method never worked for me a second time. And so I started reading other books and collecting other books on out-of-body experience and astral projection. And uh, I've, I've kept up at it. And eventually I had a, a, a the first, um, I had a very strange first out-of-body experience, which was more than just this run-in with the vibrations. And uh, I, it was the whole nine yards. It was the weightlessness and coming out of my body and floating up to the ceiling and all of this. And uh, it was like, well, this, this breaks all the rules. You know, I mean, it breaks the rules of physics because physics, teaches that there is no non-physical anything, right? Um, and at the same time, I was kind of religious back then. I was a Catholic, and that kind of breaks all of those rules, too. It's like I, I believed in earthly life and heavenly life after you die, but nothing like leaving your body while you're alive. So it, it kind of really sent me into a, a crisis of belief, both my scientific beliefs and my religious beliefs. And uh, I... Uh, when uh after it wasn't happening again after using uh monroe's method mm -hmm. uh did you have did you have like a certain level of doubt 
that it was that it actually happened oh no 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 this was the most real thing that had ever happened to me it was it was just incredibly real it was it was scary real um there was no doubt in my mind that it was real and uh so anyway i i started collecting all these books on astral projection and uh i i still do collect books on astral projection back then uh, in, in the 1979 uh, 1980s um there were very few books on out-of-body experience and uh i collected all of them which was you know all 10 of them or something there weren't very many now i've got a collection of almost 200 uh, actually i've got more than 200 books on the subject and that's just books on out-of-body experience and astral projection that does not include uh peripheral topics like um uh, near-death experience or uh, lucid dreaming or other altered states of consciousness. That's just out-of-body books. And uh, uh, I still study and practice it whenever I can. I've had uh, many, many countless out-of-body experiences. I, I kind of lost count. And, um, but I've been doing this for more than 40 years now. And uh, it's just uh, always been a fascination of mine. I, I, it's, it's as thrilling uh, now as it is, as, as it ever was, you know, at the beginning. Yeah. So it's just, uh, uh, it's an incredible experience and it's, it's life changing, or at least it was for me. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So uh, when you first started, when you initially got into Monroe's or the way that you tried it the very first time, did you go into that with any, were you like already on a path of some sort of spirituality where you had it in your head already of this idea or were you coming at it completely from a, as close to unbiased, like, standpoint as possible no i i really didn't believe monroe i didn't believe a word he said and i i did yeah. not come from any spiritual tradition other than I, I said i was catholic so i grew up catholic and went to church on sundays what that what that meant is i went to church on sundays and the rest of the week i forgot everything about it and, <laughs> and uh you know basically lived a you know a computer i was a computer guy right i was going to uh high school and uh, in 79, and I gra- that's when I graduated and started going to the University of Minnesota as a computer uh, scientist. And um, I took summer, you know, summer classes in computers. So my, my whole life was geared around computers. Uh, that was my, the love of my life, if you will. And I'm still in computers. I still am a very technical uh, uh, computer guy. I've uh, uh, been working for Red Hat, which is one of the technology leaders. Um, and uh, they're the, the world's biggest supplier of Linux software. And oh, cool. uh, yeah, and uh, I work on the Linux kernel, which is uh, uh, no small feat. It's very complex code. So I'm a very scientific guy. So I, by all means, you know, I was not prepared for out-of-body experience to, uh, to be like this or to take me where it has. It was just yeah. completely unexpected. Yeah. So I, I have a question as far as... Um, like biologically in our brains, what happens while you're experiencing an OBE? Do you, do you know much about that? Like what, what kind of like neuron connectivity happens? And um, Yes. Well, I've done a lot of studying of that. And uh, um, I've always been, because I've been a scientific guy, that's always been a curiosity of mine. Um, first of all, uh, I, I, uh, have written five books and my latest book is my latest book is um hacking the out-of-body experience and the subtitle is leveraging science to induce obes 
And what that is, is it's a culmination of, of the studies that I've made on out-of-body experience and the, the, the brain, what happens to the body, what happens to the brain. And uh, the bottom line is from a science point of view, um, there just hasn't been enough studies done. Um, we need serious scientists to um, study the phenomenon. Um, it, there have been a few studies. Um, Charles Tard did some studies uh, on Robert Monroe and other people um, using EEGs, electro, in, electroencephalograms. And uh, what he found is that during an OBE, um, at least according to Tart, um, there are no rapid eye movements. So it's, it apparently is not in the dream state. Um, he said that your brain waves are not delta like they are normally during the dream state, but more typically theta. Um, and so it's kind of like a halfway point between uh, waking and sleeping. But the problem is when Tart was doing these studies on the brain, um, it was many, many years ago. So there isn't much contemporary data. Sure. Now, um, what there have been some studies, there was a couple of, uh, uh, there was a, a paper written um, by a, a Japanese uh, guy who, a scientist, and they, they took uh, a, a guy who could create out-of-body experiences at will. And he was a, he, he was a master at um, a specific type of meditation. And it takes you an entire lifetime to learn their technique. And uh, so it's not something you can pick up overnight. And anyways, he, he could do this anytime he wanted. And they hooked him up to um, some more modern equipment, not the EEG equipment, but they, they used um, uh, like uh, near-infrared spectrography and, and stuff like that. Anyway, he, what they did is they measured the blood, blood flow to the brain in various places. And now that can't tell you what is going on deep inside the brain, but it can tell you what's going on near the surface. And what they found is that during an out-of-body experience, there's a profound drop of activity in the, the prefrontal cortex. And um, what that is, is it's very similar, in fact, to other profound states of consciousness. And um, other people, other scientists have studied like the effects of uh, psilocybin on the brain, for example, somebody's you know, the, the main hallucinogenic ingredient in magic mushrooms. They give somebody psilocybin and they monitor their brain for um, the same kind of activity. And what they find is the same thing. They find an, uh, an acute and rapid drop in electrical activity, like, like falling off the shelf from the pr prefrontal cortex of the brain. And um, so it's like the, 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 the harder you trip, the, the greater the, the difference is when this fall happens. Um, but they've also done all kinds of different studies on sleep, what happens during sleep. And there are various uh, areas of the brain that are all connected to one another and it's all very complex. Um, there's a, a thing called the default mode network of the brain. And what that is is that scientists have discovered that um, when you're uh, working on a specific external task, like I'm doing a math problem, for example, that uses a specific region, a set of regions, hubs in the brain um, called the task uh, positive network, the TPN. And when your mind goes idle, you're using this um, default mode network, which is another set of hubs. So when your brain goes idle, it's like certain areas of your brain light up. And when you focus on something, another set of uh, items light up in your brain. And the, uh, the d default mode network is the idle part. 
And that consists of areas in the prefrontal cortex and um, the, the posterior cingulate cortex, and then the, the uh, angular gyrus or gyrus or whatever you want to say in the, in the back of the, uh, b behind the ear. And that's an interesting thing because um, in the past they've found, scientists have found that um, uh, they could induce uh, symptoms similar to out-of-body experience just by um, changing the electrical activity in that part of the brain. Um, so anyway, it's, it's all very complex and interrelated. But like uh, when you fall asleep, what happens is you have these, some of the, the mo, uh, nodes in the default mode network stay active and alive, and they're communicating with one another, but others go dormant basically, and the, um, the uh, regions are cut off from the others during sleep. And the same with uh, uh, sedation, when you're sedated, um, put under uh, for surgeries or whatever. And um, during an out-of-body experience, what I believe happens, and I don't have scientific evidence to prove this, but I, it almost seems as if those regions are active when they normally wouldn't be. Um, so anyway, it's, uh, it, it all gets very complex. So what do you, wow. is there, um, when you're specifically talking about out-of-body experiences, um, how do you relate those to things like remote viewing and like you said before, like near death experience and things like that. Is there a difference uh, in how you view those or is it just a matter of how you get to that point? Um, yeah, there's, there's a very complex um, nomenclature. Uh, it's all very confusing. There's a lot of terms out there. Some people want to call it soul travel. Some people want to call it astral projection. Some people want to call it out of body experience. Um, but the way I think of it is this, I think of remote viewing is where I am conscious and aware of my physical body. So I'm in my physical body, my awareness is in my physical body, but I'm getting ideas, impressions, ESP, whatever you want to call it. I'm getting physical, um, I'm getting visual things, um, uh, visual imagination, if you will, of another spot, uh, another place on the earth or, or wherever, you, wherever it happens to be. Um, but my, my conscious awareness is still remains firmly anchored in my physical body. And uh, it doesn't take much to do remote viewing. It, it takes a little bit of practice and some protocols and things like that. Um, but it's really pretty easy, calming your mind and, and all of that. But you're actually not leaving the body. Um, leaving the body or inducing an out-of-body experience is much more difficult to achieve. Um, uh, and the way that I think of near-death experiences is that a near-death experience has a bunch of features and an out-of-body experience is just one of those features that can occur during a near-death experience. Near-death experience, uh, typically you'll see um, dead relatives. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of people will see dead relatives. They will um, report um, having a, a past life review where they, their life flashes before their eyes and they you know, recall everything, every single thing that's happened in their life, things like that. And those things typically don't happen in an out-of-body experience, although sometimes uh, it seems to happen that way. Um, some people have reported seeing you know, dead relatives or whatever, but it's, you don't typically see that tunnel of light and all of that same stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it, that, the, the, what makes it more confusing is that you have some people like um, uh, in, 
Robert Monroe, in his later books, he wrote three books, Journeys Out of the Body, um, Far Journeys, and Ultimate Journey. And in the last two books, he stopped really talking about out-of-body experience, and he started using terms like focus levels. And uh, that's another term, set of terms to, to toss into the ring, too. And these focus levels are more what I think of as more like remote viewing. Um, although some people uh, seem to be getting very realistic um, impressions from those. And uh, so anyway, but, but in my opinion, like the focus level things are a little bit different from your typical out-of-body experience because again, you're, you still have an awareness of your physical body. Yeah. Um, when I'm in an out-of-body experience, my physical body is just another inanimate object in the room. It's just a blob lying on the bed. Looks like to me, it looks like a blob of energy. I can't, I, you know, I don't even see the body. It's more like I'm seeing a blob of energy lying on the bed. Um, is that but, just uh, with your body, or, is, or do you see a lot of things like that? No, you, typically everything else looks pretty normal to me. Um, a lot of times, though, during an OBE, I can see uh, it appears, you know, thing strange things can appear like, you know, it looks kind of cloudy and fuzzy, like there are clouds sitting around in your uh, bedroom or whatever, or kitchen or wherever you happen to be. Um, so it's not always, and, and some people say that it depends on your level of consciousness, right? If you have a, a very bright um, level of consciousness, then you're not going to see those clouds. And other people describe those cloudy environments as being more of a, a lower plane of existence and, and all of that. I'm not sure if I buy into planes of existence. Um, to me, it's all just conscious awareness. And uh, so it's all, you know, it's all your interpretation. So that's, that's kind of my question. And I don't mean to make this too complicated too quickly. But when going back to like the near-death experience in relation to an out-of-body out experience or astral projection, um, so you're kind of saying in, that in your opinion, it's, it's like out-of-body experiences could be part of a near-death experience, but a near-death experience might entail like a little bit more. And if that's like, if that's the case, is it, um, would it be a thing that we're looking at two different dimensions of something or just when you're in, like, how would we communicate with things that are within the realm of a near-death experience if you're astral projecting or if you're doing a normal out-of-body experience or can they kind of coexist? Well, like I said, in, in, an, in a near-death experience, um, a lot of people go to this out-of-body experience. It, you know, they have an out-of-body experience as part of their near-death experience. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, it's the same thing. It's the same exact uh, um, experience. They, they can see you know, others and interact with them and, and whatever, like you can in an out-of-body experience. In an OBE, you can, you can see people and talk to people and, and whatever. And uh, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's fascinating and everyone who's had one, you know, goes through a, a certain set of uh, experiments that they try of, uh, you know, this and that. Um, but like, you can tell when you're interacting with somebody who's in the body, like if I fly to my brother's house and I, I see him or whatever and try to talk to him, you know, if he's awake and in the body, he, I'll be able to see him that way, but he will, to me, appear distracted. He won't look at me and engage me. I can talk to him, but it's more like talking to his subconscious mm -hmm. and he acts, uh, he would act as if, um, I'm a, a inconvenience. Um, so he, he would be, you know, he would answer questions, but kind of not real talkative and, and all of that. It, 
in the body, people appear very distracted. Um, if I see somebody who is not acting distracted and they look at me and engage with me in conversation and, and it's more one-on-one, -on -one, then it's, you know, a not probably a non-physical person, whether you want to call that a ghost or, a, you know, somebody else having an mm -hmm. out-of-body experience or whatever that is. But that's uh, not your typical uh, in-the-body person. Um, and then there are these other beings that I, I call... Uh, the invisible helpers, which is really kind of, it sounds really bizarre. Um, but basically it, it seems as if there are uh, helpers out there that I can never see, but I can hear them. So I can ask for assistance, for example, of, you know, I'm having trouble here. I'm stuck on this, you know, you can, can you give me a hand here? And I can hear somebody saying, oh, sure, we'll help you out or whatever. And, and somebody will, will, you know, I'll feel somebody take my hand and but I never see these people, which is really kind of strange. Um, they're um, usually very helpful, but they're not talkative. If I try to engage them in conversation, they avoid the conversation. They'll, they'll put you off and they'll say, uh, well, we're not here to talk or something like that, you know. So it's, uh, it's fascinating anyway. Wow. Um, as far as like these entities that you've met, or no, actually, let me start with the timeline thing. In your experience, or have you met anybody, or have you personally known anyone that's able to do the astral projection, but be in a position that's either forward or backwards in time from the present? Because when you were relating, uh, or when you related kind of remote viewing and astral projection, or maybe, you know, possibly being one and the same, or people can kind of do both things, or it's fairly easy to remote view. You know, the CIA did uh, testing with remote viewing a lot. Um, over like spanning like two or three decades and one thing is they were asking a person to go back like a million years in time and he you know regardless of whether or not the story his account of it was true he said that he experienced this thing and saw all these things so would it be possible for a person in out of body space to be able to do the same thing go back or forward in time you know i i believe that it can happen um uh i'm still a very scientific guy and so I still am very skeptical about such claims but I actually did have one out-of-body experience that was a considered a time travel out-of-body and um, so if you wanted to go back a million years I don't know how the heck you would do that um, but what happened to me I'll, I'll, I'll just explain what happened to me and I've only had the one um, one time I, I left my physical body and I was contemplating what I should do and um, I saw this kind of a square doorway or a rectangular doorway it, like that was black and it kind of like appeared in front of me. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. And I, I was kind of floating there in mid, mid air and looking at this portal. And I heard a, a disembodied voice, probably one of these helpers I talked about. And he said, come on, let's go. And I said, where am I going? And he, he said, to, you know, to the ear, whatever. And he rattled off the ear. I figured it was 20 uh, 2048 or something like that. Um, I've got a, I, I have it on my blog anyway, one of my first blog entries. Um, Which I absolutely enjoy, by the way. Oh, thank I've, you. I've yeah. read a bunch of it and yeah, it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> great. Thank you. I've got, uh, I've been doing this blog for eight years now, which is amazing to me to think that I've been wow. doing it eight years. Like, wow. wow. But anyway, um, so this guy, uh, this, this helper said, well, you know, said let's go and he, I, I said okay and and you know basically I, I felt pulled through this doorway and I found myself flying above the earth and I thought whoa and I 
I, I flew way down and landed on the ground and I didn't recognize anything. It was just city everywhere. And I thought, well, I, you know, I'm not going to make any progress this way. So I, I thought, well, I want to go to some place I would recognize. And I, I decided on uh, my childhood home where I grew up and I, you know, in Northeast Minneapolis. So I um, found myself near my childhood, where my childhood home was in Northeast Minneapolis. And I started walking toward uh, Central Avenue, which is, you know, one of the, one of the uh, roads coming out of downtown. Um, and uh, it was only a block away from my house. And everything was really strange. So this apparently was supposed to be the future. And what I noticed is very strange anomalies. I, there weren't any roads to speak of. There were no cars anywhere. I didn't see a single car. Um, I uh, saw this strange, uh, like an, a pedestrian overpass over what appeared to be the, like a, a small, uh, uh, like a mini freeway. And it almost seemed like it was a, a, a tiny freeway that was geared for individual vehicles, like really, really small individual people. Like instead of, instead of getting in a car, you'd get inside a pod and it would zip you from one place to another rapidly or something like that. But I didn't see any cars or anything like that, or just a strange overpass. And what, what was strange is that there were very, very few people. I, I expected Minneapolis in, in that year to be crowded with people because, you know, populations grow. And what I saw was very, very few people. I, I saw one, you know, a person here, a person there. But I thought, you know, this is really odd. And I thought, you know, I should try and find something that would validate what year it is. So I, I went inside a shop looking around for something that would have a year on it and searching, searching. And um, I eventually ran, saw a, a couple people there and, and stuff like that. But, and one of them uh, seemed to be a psychic and was giving a, a psychic reading uh, to another person. Um, but she appeared to be able to see me, and, which was really kind of strange too. But anyway, it, I thought it was very odd that there were very few people. And um, at the time I had read, uh, I was reading a book by uh, Bruce Moen, who was a aficionado of the Monroe Institute, which was started by Robert Monroe. And uh, in Bruce Moen's book, he was saying that uh, he was doing some of these focus level experiments and uh, he did lots of it. He wrote a whole series of books, and they're very good books, by the way. Um, but uh, in one of his books, he mentioned that he, he thought there would be a major um, crisis of health, a, a pandemic that would like annihilate the, most of the world's population. And uh, so it's a little bit alarming that we're in the middle of a pandemic here. Yeah, um, although, you know, although it, this, this pandemic has not had nearly the effect of, of wiping out like 90% of the Earth's population by a long shot. But, you know, um, anyway, that was, you know, something that I had read in Bruce Moen's book. And so maybe that affected my subconscious and that affected the experience that I saw very few people mm -hmm. there. So who knows? Um, but that's my only experience, directly experience with time travel in an OBE. What, um, um, I'm, I'm curious as to what the timeline was like from you experiencing it compared to how much actual time passed? Oh, you mean that time um, is, is a minute in real time the same as a minute in an OBE? Yeah. Um, that, that seems kind of variable. Okay. Um, some people report, I mean, I've read almost all of these 200 books, some, some odd books. Um, some people claim that time passes very quickly 
uh, you can experience a long OBE and only a few minutes of real time have passed. For me, it's been almost one-to-one. -one. Um, so a minute of OBE time seems to be about a minute of regular time. So gotcha. I haven't noticed a big time dis discrepancy. Although I did have a, a childhood experience that I wrote in my first book um, in which I seem to, I, I, <laughs> it was kind of weird. Um, the childhood experience, uh, I, my friend and I were, were young teenagers and we always uh, played wrestling. And uh, he was a very, my friend was a real strong guy. So he, uh, we decided as an experiment, he'd give me a bear hug until I passed out. And then I could tell him <laughs> what happened. You know, kids do, you know, oh. kids get in trouble, boys especially. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I agreed to this. It was actually three of us. It was me and uh, Frank and Eric. And uh, Frank was the strong one. And so I agreed, and I was the experimental one. So uh, I agreed to have Frank uh, give me a bear hug until I passed out. And uh, what, what it was like during that experience is it was like I had completely lost touch with Earth. It was like I had completely, it's like I, I, it was like waking up. It was like waking up in a different place and Earth was just a distant memory of something that I had done a long time ago. And it seemed like I was in this other alternate reality, alternate physical universe for like over a hundred years. I mean, it seemed like I was gone forever. And um, so long that I had completely forgotten all of Earth and, and you know, it was just some like a silly dream I had had a long time ago. And uh, then all of a sudden uh, I was walking to a store and I passed out, I lost consciousness or whatever, and I opened my eyes and here I am back on Earth. and. I'm on the grass and I'm looking above me. It's like, where the heck am I? I have no clue where I'm at. And here's this, my friend, Frank and, and Eric, and they were looking down at me and it's like, what'd you see, what'd you see? And, uh, you know, to me, it was like, I was like, how long was I out? And they said, just a few minutes. So wow. to me, it, it, you know, to me, it seemed like I was gone for hundreds of years. And um, it was just incredible. And, I, and they asked me, well, what, what happened? And it's like, I, at that point, I, I knew they couldn't, they would never believe me. So I, I said, nothing, nothing happened. You know, that's so. like, I've, I've experienced <laughs> like pretty intense um, mushroom trips before and yeah. been caught in these experiences where it just seems like you're in a place for hours, years, days, weeks, and it's been moments, you know, yeah. which is a pretty insane, pretty interesting feeling. Mm -hmm. um, when you start, when you, so you have the ability or you're practiced enough to be able to um, astral project or go into an out-of-body experience almost like when you plan to, right? Or can you do that? Or is that something that people generally can do? Well, it doesn't always work. When I lie down and the conditions are right and it's quiet and it's dark and uh, if, I, if I set my mind to it, yes, I can almost always get out of body. Um, but it's it's never ideal, right? I mean, the, the dog comes in and mm -hmm. wakes me up or, uh, you know, my wife or whatever. I've got a wife now. And uh, um, so life is different. I, you know, I, I work a full-time job in, in the computer industry and all these things. So I don't, the bottom line is I don't get a lot of time to practice. Uh, when I really set my mind up to do it and uh, I, I usually can achieve it. And I found there's a whole bunch of things that, that certainly help. And meditation is one of them. If I, if I keep up a me regular meditation practice, that helps. Um, but there's also a whole bunch of different things that help uh, the would-be out-of-body experiencer. Um, like uh, scientists have, have done a bunch of different studies on out-of-body experience. 
and they found like, for example, people who play a lot of video games tend to have more OBEs than people who don't play video games. So one thing that you can do, for example, is play video games. And the reason that is, is because your brain concocts, I mean, even in, in waking life or in an OBE or whatever you, whatever you experience, your brain concocts a story of experience, what I call a story of experience. And it bases that on your five physical senses, but mostly the sense of sight and, and sound and also like your imagination and other things, your belief system and all of that. So what you can do to induce an out-of-body experience is you have to relax your body completely to the point where your uh, temporal parietal junction, which is the area of the brain that decides these things, um, so you relax it to the point where it doesn't have enough data to, uh, to actually say, I'm here, I'm lying in bed, I'm doing anything. And so you deprive it of that information and then you have to feed it with false information. Basically, you try and uh, fool your, your brain into thinking that you're moving when you're not moving and, and things like that. And uh, that's how you induce an out-of-body experience is when you can, uh, basically you have to use your imagination, um, whether it's visual imagination, visualizations or tactile imagination like uh, grabbing onto a rope and feeling the, mm -hmm. the rope in your hands, or whether it's uh, hearing um, or whatever, uh, but using your imagination to fool your brain. And, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to derail that stream of consciousness. You've got a, this uh, story of experience, what I call, and this, the, that's created by the TPJ. So you starve the TPJ of its sense data and you feed it with uh, artificial sense data from your imagination to get it knocked off the tracks. And once you've knocked it off the tracks, then you're in a full-fledged out-of-body experience. And from there, you know, you drop the visualizations, you drop the imagination, you basically are experiencing it firsthand, but you've tricked your body into letting go of that uh, uh, stream of consciousness and adapting this other one. Yeah. Wow. And so can you, is there, because um, sleep and, and OBEs are, are closely related and so is there any times when you go straight from an obe into sleep and then you you wake up yeah um so, so sometimes um yeah a lot of times what happens is uh well when i have an out of body and a lot of people i know when they have an out of body they don't want to quit right it's it's mm -hmm. fun um you're walking through walls you're having the time of your life you're defying defying gravity and and whatever you're exploring and so it's a lot of fun. So nobody consciously chooses to stop an OBE or at least, uh, well, I suppose you can if you get scared or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but typically for me, I, I uh, don't choose to end an OBE. So it's basically as long as I can hold on to a consciousness and eventually I black out. Now, after I black out, what happens is my body will either start dreaming and I'll go into a brief dream state, which is usually just a few minutes, and then I'll wake up from that or else I'll, I'll just black out and immediately come back to my body. Um, I have, uh, there's also sometimes a blackout at the very beginning of the OBE as well as, yeah. Um, but I have had OBEs in which I've consciously been able to witness the entire process from start to finish. In other words, no blackouts at all. I've been able to go from complete bodily consciousness all the way into full-fledged out-of-body and all the way back where there was no breaking consciousness whatsoever, no dream state, no blackout, no nothing. 
Um, but typically you, you'll have some of those things or most people will anyway. Okay. Cause when my one experience with an OBE, I, <clears throat> it was right when I was on the verge of falling asleep one night mm -hmm. and uh, I had spent the whole day writing. I was writing a script for a short film. Mm -hmm. So, and my short film was about near death experiences. So mm -hmm. I was already doing a bunch of research into it. And, uh, this, that that kind of happened to me is where I felt myself come out of my body and I was floating around and then all of a sudden it felt like I was in a dream and I woke up. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times what happens is you lose consciousness and it just degrades into a dream. Um, mm -hmm. And that's something that I, I talked about in my very first book. Uh, I, I wrote a book um, uh, called um, out of body experiences, how to have them and what to expect. And that book is now more, well, it was published in 1997, so it's more than 20 years old now, um, so 23 years old. Um, but in that book, I talked about something that I called the fantasy trap. And what that is, is uh, if, you, if you are in an out-of-body experience and you start to fantasize about something, um, or you play what if uh, uh, about something, um, there's a very good chance that it's going to suck you into a dream state. And that's a bad thing. You don't want to, you know, get pulled into a dream state. But like if I'm in an OBE and I see something unusual, like, oh, like a, there's a rose or something like that, something in my garden that, that gets my attention. And I, I start thinking about, well, you know, that's strange. How, you know, how did I come up with, and I start day, uh, almost daydreaming, that'll suck me into a dream real fast. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is you have to maintain focus. OBEs require a lot of focus. And uh, that's a big problem. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and in mine, there was a bottle on the table and it, it, I knew it wasn't there before. It was a Gatorade bottle and I, I, I hadn't drinking Gatorade in a, in a long time. And then I woke up and um, yeah, it wasn't there, but. Yeah. And, and some people, that brings up another point. Some people, um, a lot of people notice that the, the things they see in an OBE don't always correspond one-to-one -one with the physical world. It's almost as if they, they're seeing an echo of the physical world and not the real thing. And a lot of people think that what you're actually seeing in an OBE is um, kind of the, the pre-planning state of the, uh, of the physical world or um, shadow memories of the physical world or something. Um, I know this is true of uh, William Buhlman, who wrote a number of books, uh, Adventures Beyond the Body is a, a more is a popular book, and it's a very good book. And uh, Buhlman, one of the things he told uh, me is that uh, he he was in a house one time. He, he's moved several times in his life, but he was in a house where um, he was building a. Him and his wife were remodeling a, a chimney. They were they were having a, fi a fireplace. Um, being remodeled and they put a new face on it and everything and they had a bunch of contractors that wanted to do the work and um, they had hired them to do the work and in his OBEs he could see this area of his room developing before it actually did and so what he was actually seeing is he was seeing you know um, the room before it actually became that way and eventually the physical world caught up to what he was seeing in his OBEs. So some people want to say that, you know, you're, that the out of body state or the astral plane, if they, you know, some people believe in an astral plane, that the astral plane is like a building blocks for physical reality. Um, the astral world, uh, things manifest much more quickly 
Um, but if you manifest things there habitually and everything, then they will become manifest in the physical world as well. So there's kind of this relationship between the two, but it's not one-to-one. Um, I've noticed discrepancies in my own OBEs between the, the physical world and uh, the, the astral one or non-physical one. And uh, it's always fascinating to me. But um, anyway, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of theories about that. That's super fascinating. So I did have a question about that. And that's yeah. when, you, when you get into this different, I'm going to call it just like a different dimension or just like a different way to see things around you. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have these experiences do is the environment that you're in mm-hmm. is it different than the environment that you last were conscious in your body in and if it is different if there's things like i've heard you know read stories about like portals that people can open up or different things like this or um structures that may or may not you know be near you in the present time do you manifest your consciousness into the same location every time like will you come into that experience and be like okay this is a familiar surrounding or do you go into it every time and i'm like this is new for me um it 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 depends on um when i leave the body a lot of times i i am consciously aware of my own bedroom and um the bedroom i'm sleeping or if i happen to be on the couch or or whatever in the recliner or whatever i'll be aware of that and i'll be in that environment uh immediately but a lot of times i'll i'll just wake up out of body to find myself in unfamiliar um surroundings and i mean some people you know talk about the astral plane um or whatever but and, and my question is i i how do you know it's the astral plane why do you call it that because to me it's more like i wake up out of body, I know I'm out of body, and um, I'm just in unfamiliar surroundings. Like I'm in the middle of a city, and I have no idea where I'm at, or, or in fact, in space. For example, I've been, I've uh, had an OBE once in which um, I did. I, you know, I, I like to experiment. I, one time, I did an experiment where I was trying to contact God directly. Right, this whole concept of a, of a creator, and so I, I tried to, um, to go to God. And instead, what I found is I, I was transported to this place. I was like deep in space. There were no stars, planets, or anything anywhere nearby. I could see stars as pinpoints of light far off in the distance, but it's like, where the heck am I? I have no clue where I'm at. Um, but it's like, uh, so so yeah, I mean, it can be both familiar and unfamiliar surroundings. Um, but like if I, if I leave my body in my bedroom and I stay in that physical environment. Like if I, if I go outside, my outside will look like my normal outside, uh, for example, and, and all of that. So it, uh, you know, it's, it's, you can do both. And just out of curiosity, can you manifest things inside of like when you're having an out of body experience, can you create like a portal to somewhere else or can you, create some sort of object or thing for you You while you're experiencing that? You know, some people claim to be able to do that, but I've always had a a difficult time um, manifesting things like that. One thing I can say is um, there's a a phenomenon called lucid dreaming, and that's where you're dreaming and you're completely aware and awake and you're aware that you're dreaming. You know you're dreaming and you're in a dream world, which is in fact a hallucination. It's a self-created hallucination, right? And um, when you're in a lucid dream, you can manifest things. You can say, you can 
say, oh, I'm going to see a door now, and, and you can see a door. And then you can say, uh, you can say to yourself, well, I, know, uh, uh, I firmly believe that when I open this door, there's going to be a beautiful girl on the other side of it. So you open the door and there's a beautiful girl on the other side. So you can do things like that in a lucid dream. In an out-of-body experience, it's not that fluid, um, at least in my experience. It's much more um, static. It seems like it has a mind and will of its own. The, the, the world I experience out there, out-of-body, um, seems to have an independent um, reality to it. So I can't just manufacture a sword in, in midair and, and decide to use it or whatever. It's more like I'm, I'm going places, seeing things, and uh, I have very little control, unlike a lucid dream. So a lot of people think that lucid dreaming and OBEs are the same thing, but in my experience, it's been, uh, OBEs are, are much different. Um, I've got another article in my blog that explains all the differences that I've encountered and, and found. Um, and it's not just me. Uh, there are other, uh, like lucid dreaming expert Robert Wagner um, said that they're different. Um, many, many people have uh, agreed with me on that, um, that they seem to be two different things. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing, but no, I've never been able to directly manifest something. Um, and even, you know, hoping, you know, that like trying to fly, I had, I've had problems trying to fly, um, which is easy <laughs> in a lucid dream and it, it's possible in an OBE as well. Um, but it, it takes some practice and it takes some knowledge. And it's definitely mo more easy to just uh, pull yourself to a distant location than it is to fly. But uh, in my first book, I talk, uh, give several stories about how, you know, falling flat on my face, believing that, you know, oh, I can do this. And you know, like a lucid dream or whatever, I can do this. I can just take a running start and, and fly in midair. And this is an OBE and I know I'm weightless and all this, you know, I give myself affirmations and I'll take a running leap and I'll just fall flat on my face and it's like, <laughs> God, this is embarrassing, you know. <laughs> so, you, yeah, it's it's it seems to have a life of its own. Do you go into it um, with a plan as to if there's something you want to explore, if there's something you want to try, or do you generally just try to get into the experience and then go from there? Um, it's always better to have a plan. Um, I usually have a long um, list of things that I want to accomplish during an OBE, and a lot of times I don't accomplish them or. Because the problem is most OBEs are very short-lived. Um, a, a lot of times they're only just a few seconds or, or minutes. Um, so it's, it's always better to go into it with a plan of what to do. And the reason is not just because they're short-lived, but because people, for some strange reasons, seem to be very ADD, right? They are attention deficit disorder during an OBE. So if, you know, I've had many, many OBEs in which I see something unusual and it's like, I was going to go try this experiment, but I see something unusual and that grabs my attention. It's like ADD, it's like squirrel, right? <laughs> it grabs, something grabs my attention and then I have to investigate that. So a lot of times things, unless you plan things out very carefully and, and I, I do recommend setting, a, setting goals and setting plans, making plans, and then trying to act on them and not let this ADD get in your way because it's very, very easy to get distracted in an OBE. Yeah, man, that, that sounds really, yeah. It sounds really similar to like psilocybin experiences where you go in with like, you know, it's important that you go in with a game plan, but then sometimes like just the smallest thing will just draw your attention away just so quickly. Mm -hmm. hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've, I've heard that, I've heard OBEs, um, uh, 
compared to, to psilocybin ex experiences before. And I've never tried psilocybin, but someday I'd, I'd like to and uh, see what people are talking about. Because I do find it fascinating that there's a similar drop in the prefrontal cortex activity mm -hmm. of the brain during the, the, both experiences. And uh, I'm just hoping that there are more scientific experiments done where people can um, study, where scientists can study what's actually happening to the brain during an OBE. And uh, we can actually try and um, figure out what's going on there because it seems like we're connecting to something um, greater than ourselves. And um, if you look at uh, evidence there, uh, from like, like quantum physics, there've been a lot of strange um, things discovered in quantum physics lately in the last 10 years, 20 years. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's incredible, but, but I think during an OBE, we're tapping into some stream of consciousness and I, I'd like to figure out what that is. And I think that science can help us get us there. Now, the military has probably definitely studied this before. Oh, I'm so sure they have. <laughs> why don't we see that, that type of reporting and what would they be using it for? Like, what do you think that, um, I know this is kind of a sidebar from, but what do you think that the military would be studying these things for? Cause I know why they were studying like remote viewing for instance, but do you think that there's anything that um, would be beneficial from having someone who could, you know, create these out of body experiences pretty much at will? Well, I, I think that, that there's more potential for remote viewing. Um, and I think the military probably is using remote viewing actively. They, they've been doing it a very long time. Um, if you look at some of the books by Joe McMonagall and, and other of these people that were involved in the early CIA stuff, um, they, they'll tell you that they're, you know, they're still actively using um, remote viewing. And I could believe there's a lot of potential for like finding missing children and finding, um, you know, uh, Al Qaeda leaders and things like that, that the military might be interested in. But I think remote viewing has a lot more potential for that than out of body. Um, out of body seems to be more of, a, um, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it seems to be more um, a, a personal experience, if you will, mm -hmm. um, than uh, the, the remote viewing. Um, so anyway, I, it, it's hard to explain, but I think remote viewing yeah. probably has more um, applications than OBEs do for that. Um, OBEs are more of a, a, a personalized spiritual thing, at least they are for me, um, and uh, a path to self-discovery and, and all of that. And I don't think the, uh, the military is interested in self-discovery and, and all of those things. Mm -hmm. so. Now, when you're, in the, um, when you're having an out-of-body experience, and you're meeting um, other consciousnesses or other people or entities, are there things outside of just other people also having out-of-body experiences that you're meeting, communicating with, and maybe sharing experiences with? And where are those people like, live, like where is that existence like inside of all that? Uh, I'm not quite well, sure what you're getting at. So, are you talking about like visiting um, dead dead people after life well, environments, things like that? I don't know because I've heard stories of people meeting other people that are having out of body experiences, and then people meeting entities, and they're not necessarily relating them to the you know to be the same thing. They're saying, okay, you know, I can meet Ryan if Ryan and I had out of, out of body experience. Oh, okay. But I could so like if we were having like one another, at the same time. Yeah. So yeah. I've heard like 
that could be a thing. And then also that you might meet other just entities of different kinds. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely possible. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the trouble has always been um, OBEs are, are pretty hard to induce and they're hard for me to induce. They've always been, I've, I was not born with any natural talent. I have to re work really hard to get them. And um, I, I don't know many people who can induce them at will. I know a few people who have them sporadically, but if I have them sporadically and they have them sporadically, uh, the chances of us meeting are yeah. pretty low. Um, I have had OBEs in which I've seen other people, but they've been in the body people. And I've seen other entities. I've seen these, um, uh, like I can only describe them as, I, I think, I think they, they're probably what a, uh, most Christians would identify as an angel, um, basically a being of light. Um, basically, they, they look like, um, like a lantern filament, it's like a glowing, like a red, a white hot glowing blob of energy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I've seen these these things and and uh, talked with them and and things like that. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of potential for that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'd, I'd love to see more experiments done of of that. And part of why I've written some of these books are are to help other people explore the out of body state, so that we can get to a point where we can study them better and do experiments like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ryan, did you see any entities or any people when you had your experience? Negative. No, I um. No, I, well, I saw my wife who was laying next to me in bed, yeah. uh, but it was kind of the same situation. I thought it was interesting how you, how you brought up when you saw yourself, you were more of like a blob of energy. Yeah. And that's kind of what I remember too. I don't re remember looking down and seeing distinct features. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like you said, it was only a few minutes long and, and I, I felt like for a while there, I was doubting that I had the experience because of the whole bottle thing that I brought up and how it was, right. it was something that wasn't actually there. And so right. it kind of brings some uh, relief when, when you're telling me that it, you can go from an OBE to a dream state, but no, I didn't see, I didn't see any entities when I was experiencing it. Yeah. Um, sometimes an OBE, um, so, sometimes your consciousness is uh, very thin and um, weak and I'm, I'm barely holding on to consciousness and other times I'm much more lucid and aware and uh, to, the, to the point where I, I sometimes I don't even realize I'm out of body, right? Um, for example, I had, a, I, I had an, a couple of years ago I spent the winter in Albuquerque, New Mexico and uh, the winter of 2018 and um, I had an experience there where uh, we were renting a, a small house in near downtown, the old town, and it was, uh, it had a leaky roof and it happened to be raining one day. And so we had all kinds of rain coming into the house. And so we, my wife and I put a bunch of buckets around the house to catch the drips coming off the roof. And the landlord was supposed to, you know, she knew about the leaks and was going to get somebody to fix them and all of that. But uh on this particular occasion, um, I had an out-of-body experience, and, and uh, basically I, I woke up, I sat up in bed, and it's like I'm feeling kind of tired, and I got up and walked, you know, and it was, it was pretty dark, so I, I kind of um, walked carefully because I knew my dog was at the end of the bed and everything, and I, uh, I 
got down on my hands and knees to feel where she was so I wouldn't step on her. And I, I patted her, her, you know, furry belly and stuff like that. And I looked for the bucket that we had placed, you know, to catch the drips and there was no bucket. And I thought, well, that's strange. You know, it must have stopped raining and my wife must have moved the uh, um, bucket out of the, out of the room because it had stopped raining and because she always goes to bed after me. And uh, all of this, well, eventually I, I got sucked back into my body and it was only then that I had figured out that I had been out of body. It was, it was so realistic that I had no clue I had been out of body. I, th I thought I was in the body the whole time. And in fact, that bucket was still there and it was still catching drips of water. And so this fact that the, the bucket wasn't there um, was very peculiar to me. But like I said, it seems like the, the out of body world is like an echo of the physical world or vice versa. And um, the fact is these four walls and the bed and the dressers and all of these ornaments of the bedroom were there for a very, very long time, right, years. And this bucket had only been there for a couple hours. So the fact that this bucket hadn't imprinted enough on that non-physical reality, see? Um, so anyway, that's, yeah, it, it's all very curious. It's all very strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a preferred method to induce an out-of-body experience? I do. Um, all of my, uh, I've had many experiences and I've used many different techniques and I've, I've designed a whole bunch of different techniques. Um, but for me, what works best, and I think different people need different things, but for me, what works best is um, movement, a sense of movement. So what I try to do, and I've got a, a one, in my blog, I've got a, um, uh, an explanation in one of my articles talks, I've got a video out there where I explain my, my technique, my favorite technique, the one that's most successful to me. Um, but basically my favorite technique is, first of all, again, I got to relax my body to the point where I can't even feel it. And then I start visualizing. And what I, what I like to visualize, I like to visualize an, an object. And a lot of times I'll, I'll walk my consciousness down to the hypnagogic state, which is a pre-sleep state, and where, where my body is almost completely asleep, but my mind is still aware, but I start seeing things, seeing objects. And what I'll do is I'll have an object appear before me, and I'll, you know, and, and this is na all na normal, natural stuff, right? Everybody gets uh, hypnagogic hallucinations right before they sleep. It's just that most of us aren't conscious when it happens. Right. Um, so I get these hypnagogic hallucination. So I'll see something. I'll see like a football. Let's just say I see a football and I'll grab onto that football. I'll, I'll imagine that that's my football. And I basically take ownership of it in my mind. I'm, I think this is my football and I'll try to like grab it and turn it and move it. And usually it'll pop, it'll, it'll uh, disappear, it'll shatter into a, a million pieces. And then I'll wait for another object to come into view and I'll take control of that one. And eventually, if I do this long enough, I'll, and, uh, and a lot of times I'll find something that I can't take control of, like, you know, a whole stadium full of people, for example, is too big. So that, you know, if I see a stadium full of people, it's like, I'm not even gonna try. So I just basically ignore it and wait for the next one. But um, so I, and uh, I like octahedrons. I've got a crystal octahedron here. So I'll, I'll see that object in my hypnagogic hallucination or I'll visualize one and try to make it real. And I'll imagine it spinning and I'll try to take control of it and I'll imagine it going 
forward and backward, forward and backward, and I'll try to follow my consciousness along with it. I'll try to develop a gravity between the object and me. And then I use that momentum to swing myself out of body. And it's kind of difficult to explain wow. in just a couple minutes, but, but that's my favorite technique that I use. A lot of people use visualizations and, and other things, but for me, it's movement. It's imagined movement. That's amazing. I've heard of uh, reports of when people are coming out of their body, like a part of them still being attached, like their feet or <laughs> like their waistline. Um, how common is that with you? Yeah, well, it used to happen a lot. Um, yeah, I, a lot of people encounter that. They'll they'll be free of their body except a foot will get stuck or whatever. <laughs> it's like there's a um, a gravity between your astral body and your physical body. And mm. um, although some would say it's the etheric plane, I mean, they have all kinds of hip, they, there's all kinds of um, occult um, lore about these things, right? They talk about etheric planes and astral planes and all of this and energy bodies and all of that. Um, but you don't need to get all bogged down in that kind of thing. But but it seems as if the the physical body has kind of a gravitational pull on your astral body. So mm -hmm. you have to gain enough momentum to get away from the body or else it'll just suck you right back in. It's like one of these paddle balls, you know, where you have a paddle and it's a ball with a string attached and you're going like mm -hmm. this to try and, and the thing, the ball goes out when you hit it and then it comes snapped right back. Your body, your astral body wants to do that. It wants to get snapped back to your physical. So you have to make sure you have enough momentum to get out all the way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, it's a, a gravitational pull between your body, but, but yeah, it, and it can, uh, you know, grab onto you or whatever. And, and it, it's not easy sometimes to, to twist and, and turn and let go or whatever. Um, it, it, that's another one of those traps, but I, uh, again, the momentum helps trying to develop that sense of motion that helps because then you don't get bogged up in that, that thought of, you know, because if you, you know, if you spend enough time and you turn around and want to look at your body or touch your physical body or something like that, again, a lot of times you'll just get sucked back into it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Are there any potential dangers when you're having an out-of-body experience? Um, none that I've encountered. I, and again, I've been doing this more than 40 years now. Um, I've seen some scary stuff. I've seen, you know, people that were dirty and they looked like they wanted to, you know, beat me up kind of thing. But it's like, uh, the worst that happens, you just end the experience, or at least for me, I just think about my physical body and poof, I'm back in it. Um, so there have been some, you know, and, and over 40 years, I've only had really a, a handful I'd say less than 10 experiences where I felt unsafe. Uh, for the most part, they tend to be very um, thrilling, if you will. They tend to be very um, exhilarating. I always come back. Some people come uh, say that they come back from an OBE and they feel drained and their energy takes so much energy. For me, that's nonsense. I come back to the, my physical body and I'm, I'm like hyped. I'm charged. I'm like really um, charged up for the whole day. So it's, it's just the opposite for me. Um, so I think it, it has to do with mindset and all of that, but I haven't really found any, any dangers out there other than, um, you might, uh, like I did have a crisis of, uh, belief. Um, yeah. you might lose ignorance. You might, uh, start to see a, a side of life that you never imagined would be out there. Um, you might lose your religion as REM would say, um, or, or whatever you might 
find yourself questioning your beliefs. You might find yourself at odds with your um, loved ones, your parents, your wife, your kids, whatever. They might call you crazy. Um, I caution people uh, talking about their out-of-body experiences unless they know somebody really uh, uh, is um, uh, open-minded to the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to people, many people who looked at me like I had lost my mind or that they, you know, they thought I had finally gone over the edge or something like that. But I assure you, you know, as a computer guy, it's had no adverse effects on me physically or yeah. mentally. Um, I, my, my brain is still very sharp. I'm still a very sharp computer guy um, doing one of the most complex uh, jobs imaginable in computers. I work on the, the GFS2 file system um, of the Linux kernel, which is uh, the most complex piece of code I've ever known. And uh, you know, so Bob, anyway, I, took, uh, I took two coding classes in college and, and it was, <laughs> I, I, I didn't do it again. it's not for everybody um it's tough point is that it's yeah it's i've never had a a, a problem um some people get scared i mean it's you know sure you can get scared i mean a lot of people experience sleep paralysis which is uh also associated with obes and uh in sleep paralysis you can you're kind of halfway between the physical world and the the non-physical and you can easily manufacture uh uh, demons and, and witches and hags and you know all kinds of unsavory creatures that you know uh, they, they call him the hat man some you know a guy wearing a black hat that you can't really see quite well you can't see his eyes and all of this stuff I mean it's easy to hallucinate monsters when you're in sleep paralysis for example but no harm has ever come to anyone to my knowledge from any of that it's all nonsense it's all can be disregarded um, it's all a fear trap. And once you have, once you, uh, because fear is a big barrier to OBEs. Mm-hmm. And once you learn to get beyond that fear, um, your OBEs will, will open up and, and it'll be amazing. But until you learn to get beyond that fear, um, it, it can be difficult. It can be real scary. Where do you think a good place for people to start, um, at least direct their attention to a place where they can start if they're interested in trying to you know, have an out-of-body experience themselves? Um, well, I'd say do your research. Um, there are a lot of good books on, on it. There's a lot of bad books on it. Um, I've done, uh, for, the, for, the, for the past eight years on my blog, I've been doing out-of-body experience book reviews. And so yeah. before you buy any books on OBEs, I would recommend you go out to my blog. I've got an index on my website. And uh, you can look at the blog, the book reviews, and say, oh, is, you know, here I'm, a book by Aaron Pavlina. Is Aaron Pavlina's book any good? Well, let's read Bob Peterson's book review of that book. Mm-hmm. And I give, you the, uh, I give you my honest opinion of you know, good, bad, or ugly. And I give a star rating, one star to, to five stars. And some of them are fantastic, uh, some of them not so much. And uh, so books are a good source of information. There's a lot of information out on the web. Um, like I said, my website is robertpeterson.org, and I've got all kinds of free information out there, including the entire text of my first book. Um, that's my first book. Yeah, um, promote it. Body experiences, how to have them, and yeah. what to expect. Um, so I've got the entire text of that on my website. It's been there since before its publication, so for more than 20 years. It's been on my website for free to prove it that I'm not in it for the money. I'm here to get wow. the information out there. Um, 
And I've got also on the website, uh, I've got links to my blog, which is a free blog again, uh, where I've got uh, all kinds of articles on, you know, uh, what to do when the vibrations hit you, um, you, know, yeah. how to, you know, how to contact dead people, what, you know, if you want to contact a dead loved one, here's what you do, that, that kind of thing. Lots and lots and lots of articles out there. Like I, like I said, I try to publish an article on my blog about every two weeks. Um, and I've been doing that for eight years. Not, not every two weeks, but pretty much. I usually skip a week or two in the summer when things get busy. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I loved about your blog, Bob, is, is that it has a lot of different things. Um, not only book reviews, but like tips, tricks. And it's just, it's very interesting read. For sure, well, I've, super I've helpful. Got, uh, thank you. I, I I'm glad you're finding it useful. I've I've got uh, techniques out there too. I've got uh, explanations of different techniques that that I've I've used in the past and and that, and uh, yeah, if it if it gets people going and in that direction, that's good. That's more power to them. And I'm always open to ideas for new blog articles because now I've gotten to the point where I'm kind of running out of ideas on new articles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know people want to hear about this and that and and the other thing, but a lot of people come into it um, and they have the same questions. I've got a, a frequently asked question, for example, a, a fact um, out on one of my uh, articles on the blog. And uh, I've got, you know, hundreds of questions that people have come to me over the years with and, and I've answered them and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, do, do the research and uh, I encourage people to, to go out and try it for themselves. Don't take my word for it. They don't take anyone's word for it, but do the research and uh, do, do the homework because it's, like I said, for me at least, it's not an easy thing to achieve. It takes a lot of uh, discipline and practice, and, uh, but uh, it's definitely worth it. It's like uh, one of the most thrilling things that I think you can do. One of my uh, last questions is, if, if someone does have this out-of-body experience, do you have like a recommended thing they should try doing or some, a place they should try going or an experience they should try having while they're out there? Um, not really. I mean, everything. I mean, there's, there's just unlimited potential, right? Um, I think that humankind, all of our beliefs on the afterlife, right? If you look at Christian beliefs in heaven and angels and things like that, all of those beliefs in the afterlife are based on someone's experience. Now, maybe that someone was a couple thousand years ago, but it was still someone's experience of an afterlife, right? And it might have been a near-death experience or an OBE from a near-death experience or whatever. And uh, it might have been from an out-of-body experience, but they got that information from this universal experience. I mean, OBEs are a universal human experience. They've been recorded throughout history uh, to all cultures, all belief systems. And uh, I'd love it if we could, uh, as a race, as a human race, if we could learn to experience this, figure out what this afterlife thing really is, we could come to some kind of agreement. Think of how that would change the world, right? Think of how yeah, that would, awesome. it would, it would end all of these wars of, you know, oh, you know, Islam is greater than Christianity mm-hmm. or Christianity is greater than Buddhism or Buddhism is greater than Hinduism, whatever. Yeah. Let's, let's see what's really out there. Let's study it. Let's si- study it scientifically. Find out what's really there. Let's, you know, this is, this is 2020. This is the modern age. Let's uh, apply science to this problem and let's, let's explore it. Part of the problem is there aren't enough scientists out there 
um, with the uh, guts to yeah. actually explore this topic. Right. Uh, we got Charles Tart, who I mentioned earlier. He's one of my heroes. He wrote the foreword to my first book. Um, you've got, uh, you know, all, you know, a bunch of uh, just a very few. Um, Gary Schwartz is one of them. Um, just a very few set of scientists. Uh, Rupert Sheldrake, I, I, I love his work. Um, but there are, we need more scientists that think along those lines, that take this stuff seriously um, and, and explore it and try and figure out what it really is and what's going on. Yeah, well, yeah, I agree. Bob, how many books have you written for one? Um, what's your latest book and where can you find it? Um, I've written five books. I can show them to you. Yeah. My first book... My first book was Out-of-Body Experiences, How to Have Them and What to Expect. And that's basically, um, half of it is the story of how I got into OBEs and um, what I encountered, what I found there. And it also has, at the end of every chapter, it has um, exercises of how to do it yourself, um, oh, wow. things that you can try. Cool. And the other half of the book is basically what the books didn't tell me, right? Um, things about, you know, how your eyesight works over there in and out of body and, and weird things like that, that other books don't want to tell you. Um, my second book was called Lessons Out of the Body. And it basically is um, more spiritual. The first book was more scientific. It's like, this is what, it was kind of like Monroe's book, right? It was, it's kind of like, this is what I experienced. And this is what I found out. And it's very regimented and scientific about it. Mm -hmm. but the second book, Lessons Out of the Body, is more, um, first of all, it's hard to find because it's out of print, um, but it's more spiritual. Where can it take us? What, what can we learn from spiritually from this experience? Um, and the third uh, book, I, I wrote a novel called The Gospel According to Mike, um, which is just a, a fun uh, concept. Um, my fourth book is called Answers Within, and basically, in my first book, I talk about a phenomenon that I refer to as my inner voice. And that's mm -hmm. where I uh, started learning to communicate with my subconscious, basically, and having these dialogues with my subconscious. And there's nothing uh, esoteric or, or whatever, but there's a lot of good information. A lot of people came to me after the first book's publication and asked me, well, how do I contact my inner voice? So I wrote this book uh, to address that it's something that's complex and I, I didn't want to shortchange it. I don't want people um, um, misusing that, that stuff and uh, you know talking themselves into schizophrenia or, or having, having mental problems because of it. So this is more of a, a solid um, scientific approach to learning to communicate with your subconscious. And then my, my latest book um, is Hacking the Out-of-Body Experience, Leveraging Science to Induce OBEs. And it's all about the science of inducing OBEs. Um, front to back, um, it's well, 358 pages of nothing but out-of-body um, techniques, tips, and ways to get you there. Um, so there's no fluff. There's no experiences. Unlike my first book, where I have a lot of experiences, I narrate what, what I happened to me. Um, in Hacking the Out-of-Body Experience, there are no um, personal stories. It's all about how to get to an out-of-body experience yourself um, by doing things like, you know, and neuroplasticity, leveraging neuroplasticity and diet and supplements and, you know, just every, a little of everything, the different techniques. I've got tons and tons of techniques in there um, and tips and all of that. And you can get it on amazon.com. Uh,
Hell yeah. Okay, and what's your uh, website again? We'll have uh, a link for it, but mm-hmm. yeah, my web, my website is robertpeterson.org. Okay, sweet. Go check it out. Great. Well, thank well, you guys for having me on. Yeah, this thank has you been so great. Much. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Bob. Super informative. Yeah. I'm glad I could help, and uh, look forward to uh, uh, watching some of your other podcasts. Thank you. Yeah, right. we'll have to talk again too because I do want to explore this inner voice thing a little bit deeper. I think um, yeah. want to be there for it too. Very, very <laughs> curious about that. So well, maybe we'll um, have to do another episode. Yeah, I, I would be, be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Right. Well, good. thanks everybody. Yep. Thanks, have a Bob, great again. day. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you.